Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert. I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. Welcome to Episode 7 of the Astro Guy Podcast, the podcast for the amateur astronomer. Whether you're just starting out or you're a lifelong enthusiast, this is the astronomy podcast for you. I'm your host, Wayne Zuhl, and we're going to take a look at what's up in the skies this December. There's quite a lot going on, so sit back and enjoy. Recently, there have been two spacecraft that have been in the news. Just last week, On November 24th, NASA launched the DART mission on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. DART stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. The DART spacecraft is traveling to the Didymos system, which is a near-Earth asteroid that was discovered in 1996. In 2003, it was determined that Didymos had its own moon, named Dimorphos. Didymos itself is nearly spherical and is about 800 meters or just less than half a mile in diameter. Its moonlit Dimorphos was discovered when astronomers noticed that the light curve of Didymus would dim about every 12 hours. This was due to the moonlit Dimorphos passing in front of Didymus causing it to dim slightly. In fact, Dimorphos has never been observed visually because it's very small. The moonlet itself is only about 70 meters across. While it is a near-Earth asteroid system, it never comes closer than a few million miles from the Earth and is in no danger of hitting the Earth. The DART spacecraft is now on its way to Didymos, and it will impact Dimorphos on September 22, 2022. DART, which is about the size of a vending machine and weighs about 1,300 pounds, will slam into Dimorphos at 4.1 miles per second. The impact should change the moonlit speed by 0.4 millimeters per second, but over a relatively short time, this should change Dimorphos' orbital period by about 10 minutes to around 11 hours and 50 minutes, which astronomers should be easily able to detect. If this test is successful, it could be the best way to deflect an asteroid that could potentially impact the Earth. While it would need to be discovered several years out, a similar mission could be launched that would nudge a potential deadly asteroid to harmlessly fly by the Earth. The other spacecraft in the news lately is the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWT. This space telescope has been touted as a replacement for the Hubble Space Telescope. The original design for this instrument was first proposed in the late 1980s. The JWT has a primary mirror, nearly three times the diameter of the Hubble Space Telescope, at 6.5 meters. One of the important differences is that the JWT is designed to look at objects in the near-infrared, while Hubble looks primarily in the visible spectrum. And while Hubble is relatively in a low Earth orbit, about 335 miles above the Earth, JWT will be at the L2 Lagrange point, which is almost 1 million miles from the Earth. The primary reason for this 
is that the constant temperature of the JWT's instruments need to be around 50 degrees Kelvin, the temperature needed for its detectors to observe cold objects such as dust and protoplanets around other stars. At this distance, it won't be possible to do servicing missions like NASA did with the Hubble. So expect five to 10 years of useful observations from the JWT. The James Webb Space Telescope is scheduled to launch from French Guiana on December 22nd at 7.20 a.m. Eastern Time. You can watch the launch live on YouTube just search for James Webb Launch and you'll find it. Stay tuned for more information about DART and JWT in future episodes of this podcast. Getting back to observable events in the sky, on December 4th, there will be a total solar eclipse visible in Antarctica. There are several cruises planned to be in the Southern Ocean, although I have already heard that at least one was canceled because of a COVID-19 outbreak. The eclipse will be visible as a partial eclipse from parts of Australia and Africa. A total eclipse will occur when the moon passes in front of the sun along a path over the ocean and Antarctica. The longest totality for this eclipse is only 1 minute and 54 seconds. This will be the last total solar eclipse until April 30th, 2023, when a total eclipse will be visible in parts of Southeast Asia, New Zealand and Australia. This will be a warm-up for 2024. On April 8th, there will be a deep total solar eclipse that will be visible in parts of Mexico and the United States from Texas to Maine, with totality lasting up to 4 minutes and 29 seconds. This should be an amazing spectacle, so if you want to see it, you should start planning at least a year in advance. The naked eye planets will all be visible this month, although some will be better placed than others. Venus outshines all the other planets this month as it shines at magnitude minus 4.9 on December 4th. Venus is easy to spot low in the southwest after sunset. It will be the brightest quote-unquote star in the sky. In a telescope, Venus will appear as a 28% lit crescent at the start of the month but by the 31st it will have shrunk to being only 2% lit, although it will be closer to Earth in its orbit and the planet will appear just over one arc minute in diameter. It will also appear lower in the sky each night. Later in December, Venus is joined by elusive Mercury. On December 29th, Mercury will be about 2 degrees below and 6 degrees to the left of Venus. You might be able to spot the pair starting around Christmas Day, about 30 to 45 minutes after sunset. Each evening, Mercury will climb higher, and by the 31st will appear above and to the left of Venus. Mercury will be tough to spot as it appears much fainter than Venus. By month's end, Venus will shine at magnitude minus 4.2, while Mercury will be at minus 0.66 much more difficult to pick out of the twilight glow. Mars is visible in the morning skies beginning the month in the constellation Libra. Around mid-December, Mars moves into the constellation Ophiuchus. Christmas morning finds Mars shining at magnitude 1.6, 
about 5 degrees north of the star Antares. The red supergiant Antares gets its name from the ancient Greek, meaning the rival of Mars. The pairing sees Antares appearing as the brighter of the two, as it glows at magnitude 1.1, making it the 15th brightest star in the night sky. The gas giants continue to be a lovely spectacle on December evenings. At the beginning of the month, Jupiter is in the southern sky in the constellation Aquarius. Jupiter shines brightly at magnitude minus 2.2, making it easy to spot when the sky darkens. Through a telescope, you'll be able to see the two darker equatorial bands, and when it's positioned right, the great red spot. On December 8th and 9th, the moon and Jupiter will appear about 8 to 9 degrees apart. On the 8th, the moon will appear below Jupiter and to its left on the 9th. Jupiter puts on a show in another way, with several interesting events happening with the Galilean moons. On December 1st, Callisto will pop out from behind Jupiter at 9.13 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and about two hours later, Europa will emerge from behind Jupiter. The timing for these events favors observers in the Midwest and western parts of the United States. On December 5th, Io will pass in front of Jupiter, and its shadow will follow behind the moon, making a black circle on the face of Jupiter. On December 7th, observers will be treated to Ganymede crossing the face of Jupiter starting just after 9 p.m. Eastern. About 16 degrees to the west lies fainter Saturn, glowing at magnitude 0.6. Its ring system will be beautiful in any telescope. Try to spot the gap in the rings, known as Cassini's division. This is a measure of good seeing and good optics. As the month goes on, Saturn will appear to move closer together with Venus each night. On December 1st, the two planets are about 18 degrees apart. They will be nearest to each other on December 16th, lying about 14 degrees from each other. You might be able to spot Saturn for a few more days, but it will be more difficult to spot as it is receding into the glow of twilight as it prepares to go behind the sun before being visible again in the morning skies later in the winter. If you'd like a little bit of a planetary challenge, you can try to spot Uranus about 3 degrees above the moon on December 14th in the constellation Aries. Uranus is visible to the naked eye under extremely dark skies. It glows at magnitude 5.7 and is easy to spot in binoculars or a small telescope as a small greenish disk. Neptune is much fainter and you'll need binoculars or telescope to spot its tiny bluish disk in the constellation Aquarius. Try to spot it on December 10th when Neptune will be about four and a half degrees north of the moon. At 10.19 p.m. on December 21st, the winter solstice occurs in the northern hemisphere, bringing the start of winter and the shortest amount of daylight for 40 degrees north latitude, with a mere 8 hours and 46 minutes of daylight. After the solstice, the length of daylight will continue to increase until the summer solstice in June. Another annual event occurs between December 4th and the 17th. The event is the annual Geminid meteor shower, 
which is typically one of the best meteor showers of the year. The shower peaks on the night of the 14th, when a waxing gibbous moon will shine brightly, interfering with many of the fainter meteors. The best time to view the Geminids will be between 2 a.m. and sunrise on the 14th. The ZHR, or zenithal hourly rate for the Geminids, is 150, meaning that under a dark, moonless sky, with Gemini nearly overhead, you could see up to 150 meteors per hour. Unfortunately, that won't be the case this year, but the Geminids may still put on a nice show. Just be prepared for the cold weather, bundle up with lots of layers, have a comfortable place to sit and watch the sky. No optical aid is needed to observe meteor showers. If you'd like to try to photograph the meteor shower, use a wide-angle lens. Put your camera on a tripod, open the iris to the widest setting, meaning the smallest or lowest number f-stop, and use a cable release or intervalometer to open the shutter for 30 seconds or up to several minutes. The stars will appear as arcing trails, while any meteors will appear as straight lines. Experiment with different ISOs and exposures a few nights or weeks prior to see what works best before the image gets washed out by light pollution. This month, we see Comet Leonard making its closest approach to the Earth and putting on its best show. For the first 12 days of the month, the best views of Comet Leonard will be in the morning sky. After the 12th, early evenings will offer the best views of the comet. As of this recording in late November, the comet is glowing faintly at magnitude 8.6 in the constellation Canis Venatici. On December 1st, Comet Leonard will appear in the morning sky, about 4 degrees north of the globular cluster M3. In binoculars, the comet will appear as a greenish blob with the tail extending out from the coma. The best time to observe the comet will be between about 3 a.m. and sunrise. A telescope will help to show the details in the comet much better than binoculars. Over the next two weeks, watch how the angle of the tail changes night after night. On December 9th, the tail will appear fan-like as the Earth passes through the orbital plane of Comet Leonard. The dust tail should brighten until December 14th and will then begin to fade as the comet moves farther and farther from the Earth. Finder charts for Comet Leonard are available on many different websites, including theskylive.com and stellarium-web.org. If you'd like to try to photograph the comet, but you don't have a mount to track the sky, you can still try to capture it. If you're using a 50mm lens, set your ISO to 6400 and point the camera, which you will need to mount on a tripod, towards the part of the sky where the comet is. Take several 6-second exposures, zooming in after each one to perfect the focus. On most lenses, infinity is not really accurate, so you should take several test shots and try to get the best focus that you can. Once you've achieved focus, Take as many 6-second exposures as you'd like, although I would suggest taking at least 30 images or more to get better results. Later, you can use a free program like Deep Sky Stacker or Sequitur to stack the images for you. This will bring out a lot more detail and will show the comet's motion over several minutes. Lastly, 
we're going to explore the constellation Taurus, the bull, and learn about some of the wonders that it holds. At 7 p.m. on December 1st, Taurus lies about 25 degrees above the eastern horizon. As the night goes on, Taurus continues to climb higher, making its wonders easier to see. You can spot bright Aldebaran, the brightest star in Taurus, shining between magnitudes 0.75 and 0.95, making it the 14th brightest star in the night sky. Aldebaran is a variable star, meaning that it varies in brightness. It is also a red supergiant star. Its radius is about 45 times that of our sun, and it is located about 65 light years from us. And, like many stars, it is actually a double star. Aldebaran has an 11th magnitude companion star that was first observed by William Herschel in 1782. Aldebaran is also one end of Taurus's horns, which are made up of the open cluster, the Hyades. This large open cluster is the closest one to us, at only 153 light years away, which makes Aldebaran technically a foreground star and not a member of the cluster. The cluster spans nearly six and a half degrees in the sky, making it not only the closest, but the largest open cluster observable to us. It contains about 150 stars, ranging between third and tenth magnitude. Binoculars will reveal many of the cluster's other stars. One of the most beautiful open clusters resides in Taurus as well. I'm referring to the Pleiades, known as M45. The name the Pleiades comes from the ancient Greeks and refers to the Seven Sisters. In Japan, it is known as Subaru. And if you're familiar with that brand of car's logo, you'll recognize the Pleiades. Some people mistake it for the Little Dipper due to its shape, but it is nowhere near the pole. Nothing to be confused here. Many amateur astronomers use the cluster as a measure of how dark and transparent the sky is by how many naked eye members can be observed. This cluster looks spectacular in binoculars, and in a telescope at low power, it will reveal many member stars. The cluster is relatively young, between 75 and 100 million years old. Photographs often reveal faint blue nebulosity, reflecting the light of the cluster's stars. This can only be seen with large telescopes from dark locations, but it is common to see it in long exposure photographs. The nebulosity is not the cloud of gas that the cluster's stars were formed from. That would have been blown away by radiative pressure from the member stars millions of years ago. The nebula is actually dust that the cluster just happens to be passing through and reflecting the star's light. The last object that we'll look at this month is the famous Crab Nebula, known as M1. The crab was the first object cataloged by Charles Messier, hence the M1 designation. The crab is a supernova remnant, meaning it is the aftermath of a large star that exploded. Making this more interesting, the supernova explosion was witnessed by early astronomers in the year 1054 AD. So the nebula itself is less than a thousand years old, and astronomers have been imaging it for more than a hundred years, 
helping us to understand what happens to stars when they end their lives as supernovae. To spot the crab, simply go about one degree north of the star Zeta Tauri, and you should be able to see the crab as a faint patch in binoculars from a relatively dark sky. In a telescope, it is easier to see and will show itself best at low to moderate magnifications. Using a nebula filter will help to bring out some of the details in the crab. The crab glows feebly at magnitude 8.4 and lies about 6,500 light years away from Earth. That's it for this month's sky tour. Stay tuned for another episode later this month. I hope that you'll try to see Comet Leonard and several of the other objects and events that we discussed in this episode. As always, Carpe Noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.